0: As every school kid knows, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And so, in all likelihood, did some Jews. Now given his reputation lately, I'm not sure we Jews necessarily want to claim this guy as one of the tribe, but there is a lingering question about the famous events of 1492. Was Christopher Columbus Jewish? There's a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest that he was. And even if he wasn't, it is yet even more likely that plenty of folks around him were. It's hard to say for sure, because if they were Jewish, they kept it secret. Columbus's voyages coincided with the dark period of Jewish history, the expulsion from Spain. So for a lot of Jews, the New World seemed like a convenient way to get out of Dodge, while still keeping their Jewishness on the down low. The mystery is, was Columbus himself one of them? Let's get into it. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Unsolved Jewish Mysteries at Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So let's set the scene around 1492 a little bit here. In 1469... Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella of Castile were married, uniting their two provinces into the unit called Spain. His and her most Catholic majesty set about conquering the last bits of the Iberian peninsula still under Muslim rule, which they finished also in 1492. Turns out it was a busy year. Now, you don't get to be known as the most Catholic majesty just for defeating a few Moors in southern Spain. You also have to be about defending the Catholic faith and extending its power and influence. To that end, Ferdinand and Isabella established a special bureaucracy in their kingdom in 1478, the purpose of which was to make sure that everyone was, you know, being Catholic. No heretics. And no popes in Rome telling the king and queen what to do either. They didn't like that. The organization was called the Tribunal of the Holy Office of the Inquisition, or as we know it, the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition, what a show. The Inquisition, here we go. We know you're wishing that we'd go away. But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay. Come on, you knew that was coming the second I said the word Spanish Inquisition. Now, starting about a century earlier, in the 1300s, the Jews of Spain had come under massive and increasingly violent persecution. From general economic decline and more wars, to the Black Death, to the spread of anti-Semitism in Europe, by the late 1300s it was incredibly dangerous to be a Jew in Spain. The worst blow came in 1391. A series of massacres across Castile and Aragon wiped out many Jewish communities there. Thousands were murdered, more thousands fled, and still others were forced to make a terrible choice. Convert or be killed. And many chose conversion, and that will become important in a minute. By the middle of the 1400s, Jews had to wear red badges on their clothing to identify them. Owning a Talmud was illegal, and Jews had to subject themselves to intensive proselytizing efforts. Although restrictions eased up a little bit by the time Ferdinand and Isabella came into the picture, the damage had been done by the previous century of persecution and the terrible pogroms of 1391. Hundreds of thousands of Jews, more than half of the entire Jewish population, had converted to Christianity. Some were forced, but others did it as a precaution baptizing their otherwise Jewish children to prevent them from a life of oppression. The Jews who remained Jewish in Spain were diminished, scattered around the country, and lacked much in the way of political power. Still other Jews began leaving Spain entirely, bound from more tolerant corners of Europe. And hang on to that fact for a moment, because we'll come back to that one soon too. Now, there were two problems with these Jewish converts to Christianity, known as conversos, or new Christians the first problem is that they weren't fully accepted by the rest of christian society even though baptism is supposed to theologically at least level the playing field for each individual mainstream christians were always wary of these conversos they weren't you know true christians they weren't of pure christian blood and here's the irony as jews these folks have been largely left out of mainstream society so christians didn't have to worry about dealing with them much but as new christians these former jews are accepted So imagine that you, an old Christian, let's say, lose out on a job to a new Christian. Well, even though you're both Christians, you're going to be pretty resentful. The second problem is that some of these conversos, these new Christians, they continued practicing Judaism in secret. They were called crypto-Jews. Out in public, they seemed like any other Christian. But at home, they engaged in various low-key Jewish rituals, like not lighting a fire on Shabbat, or cooking certain foods on Jewish holidays, or reading from hidden Jewish texts. So under the Law of Unintended Consequences, Spain created this problem for itself. In trying to get rid of the Jews, they created a blurry line where a clear one had previously existed. Although the Jewish population of Spain had been drastically reduced, you now had this huge new population of people who weren't technically Jewish, but weren't quite Christian either. The problem is then, how are you supposed to know who is who? Well, you could ask them. Or investigate. An inquiry, if you will. You need an inquisition. This was the scene that Ferdinand and Isabella inherited when they took the throne in 1469. And so in 1478, they set up just such an inquisition to investigate the situation. The point of the Spanish inquisition, then, it wasn't to persecute the Jews. It was to search out heretics amongst the new Christians to make sure that these new Christians weren't secretly practicing Judaism in violation of their baptism. But Ferdinand and Isabella doubled down on that idea, determined to not only ferret out the heretical new Christians, but also to get rid of the Jews once and for all. But before we get to that, let's head off to Italy. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's tomorrow) Okay, so what does all this have to do with Christopher Columbus? Well, his early life is very murky, and not a lot of facts are definitively known. Historians generally agree that he was born in Genoa, in Italy, sometime before 1451. For our purposes, that's interesting, because Genoa was a popular location for Jewish families fleeing Spain in the 1300s and 1400s. Especially those crypto-Jews, who were just pretending to be Christian. So then, is it possible that Columbus's family were actually Jews from Spain? Well, there's some interesting evidence. One is his name. Columbus, of course, is the Latinized version that we call him today. In Italian, it's Colombo. In Spanish, it's Colón. Although Colombo wasn't used exclusively by Jews, it is a name found within the Italian-Jewish space during this time period. So that's our first piece of evidence. Second is his father, Domenico Colombo. Domenico was a third-generation weaver, a solid middle-class job back then. And weaving was a popular trade amongst the Jews, one of the few professions from which they weren't restricted. So between the popular Jewish last name and the popular Jewish trade, maybe we're getting somewhere. Third thing, historians note that Christopher Columbus spoke fluent Spanish from an early age. But if he was living in Italy, where'd he pick that up? Coming from a family of Spanish exiles might explain it. And there are also rumors that his mother, Susanna, had Jews in her family, although she seems to have been raised thoroughly Catholic. So, like I said, interesting but very circumstantial. And partly that was by design. Columbus was extremely secretive about his past and deliberately obscured details, especially when it became a big shot at the Spanish royal court. Historians generally think that he was hiding something, but no one is sure what or for what reason. As such, there are a lot of rumors and competing theories about his origins, of which Judaism is just one, but don't worry, we're not going to rest our case on those flimsy details. I've got a lot more coming. Now from a young age, presumably though after his bar mitzvah, Christopher took to the sea, traveling far and wide around Europe and northern Africa in the service of a variety of fleets and masters. He married, had a child, became a widower, found a mistress, had another child, all the while soaking up works of science, geography, history, and the Bible, nurturing a budding interest in sailing forth to the West and the parts unknown. Meanwhile, back in Spain... Their most Catholic Majesties, Ferdinand and Isabella, were decidedly less humorous about bar mitzvah jokes, or really anything to do with matters of religion. They considered the presence of these crypto-Jews to be a huge problem, and rooting out heretics amongst the new Christians to be very serious business indeed. The Spanish Inquisition had been up and running now since 1478, and since 1483 the infamous friar Tomás de Torquemada had been in charge. Remember, the point wasn't to oppress the Jews. In fact, the Inquisition wasn't targeted at the Jews and had no particular jurisdiction over them. It was targeted at Christian heretics, those conversos who became officially Christians but were still secretly practicing their Judaism, which they should have given up. Since for a Christian to practice any other faith is heresy, and heresy is a capital crime, the Inquisition was needed to investigate those charges. But if you were Jewish, as far as the Inquisition was concerned, there wasn't any problem. But for the king and queen, there was a problem, the continued presence of the Jews in Spain. They worried that the Jews inspired, pressured, or supported conversos to continue secretly practicing Judaism, that the Jews were an unsavory influence on new Christians who were just trying to live their new faith without being tempted by their Judaic past. Best to toss them out of Spain where they can't do any more harm. And so in 1492, Spain gave several hundred thousand Jews an ultimatum, either convert or be expelled. And right in the middle of all this, Christopher Columbus wanders into town. Now, whether or not Columbus himself was Jewish, and we've still got some tidbits to present, what few people realize is that his voyage to the New World was funded by the Jews of Spain. The expulsion of tens of thousands of Jews at the moment Columbus was looking for the crown to fund his expedition, it turned out to be super convenient. Ferdinand and Isabella paid for Columbus's voyages with the profits from the property the Jews had to forfeit when they left. You're welcome, by the way. By the summer of 1492, Columbus was ready to go, and the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria were scheduled to set sail on August 2nd. But then Columbus delayed the voyage until the next day, August 3rd, and he didn't say why. But here's the thing for you. Are you ready? It turns out that August 2nd, 1492 was on the Hebrew calendar the 9th of Av, an important Jewish holiday that commemorates the destruction of the temples in Jerusalem, and in which religious Jews traditionally fast. And actually, Columbus had a deep interest in the Hebrew Bible, the foundational stories of Genesis, major Jewish characters like Moses and King David, and especially the Hebrew calendar. He was really into the Hebrew calendar. In handwritten notes accompanying one of his history books, he noted that the destruction of the Second Temple occurred in the year 68. So what, you say? What's the point? Well, here's the thing. The year 68 was wrong. It was actually the year 70 that the the Second Temple was destroyed. But thanks to a glitch in the dating process that was later fixed, the Hebrew calendar at the time was off by two years. And why was Columbus using the Hebrew calendar in private? Why was he going with a date that was wrong instead of the normal secular calendar that would have had it right? Only the Jewish community used the Hebrew calendar to date things. So the question is, why also did Columbus? Bizarrely, he used the expulsion of the Jews as the foundational date of his voyage in the introduction to his log, which he wrote as an open letter to Ferdinand and Isabella. After praising the king and queen for their commitment to spreading Christianity and for placing trust in him, Columbus wrote, So after having expelled the Jews from your dominions, your highnesses, in the same month of January, ordered me to proceed with a sufficient armament to the said regions of India, and for that purpose granted me great favors. Now there are two bizarre things with this passage. One is that he referenced the Jewish expulsion at all. Why would he? Now it is the case that on the same day that Ferdinand and Isabella issued the Edict of Expulsion for the Jews, April 29th, 1492, they also approved Columbus's westward expansion. Both those things happened at the same time. So maybe it was that the two things happening on the same day that that made an impact on him. But then there's the second bizarre thing. I told you that the date was in April. He wrote that it was in January. How did he mix that up? He wrote this introduction only a few months later in August when he actually set sail. Well, if he were using the Hebrew calendar that year, he would have been well aware that the first month of the Jewish calendar is the month of Nisan, which falls in March and April. So if he were thinking in his head that the expulsion and his voyage were approved during the first month of the Jewish year, perhaps he slipped up and therefore wrote in January. Or, if we're really going deep into the conspiracy, maybe he did it on purpose, a small act of resistance or expression of loyalty to his people that most people wouldn't notice. We could go on and on, but the point of all this technical stuff is that numerous historians have noted that Columbus's use of language, historical and religious references, references to God, and on and on, it frequently demonstrated a predilection towards the Jewish perspective and the Jewish nomenclature. Maybe it really was all innocent. Maybe he, as a deeply faithful Christian missionary, simply had an abiding interest in connecting Jewish history with this great voyage of discovery he was planning to undertake. But still, it's kind of weird, right? In another odd coincidence, where the Edict of Expulsion for the Jews was signed on the same day that the Crown approved his voyage, that date back in April, the day that he actually set sail, August 3rd, 1492, was also the deadline day for the Jews of Spain to either convert or leave. As the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria made their way out of port in the city of Palos de la Frontera, they were in crowded waters with other ships whisking Spanish Jews out of the country. But Jews, conversos, could also be found in Columbus's three ships heading off to the New World. Columbus's interpreter, Luis de Torres, is said to have been a Jew who was baptized as a new Christian just before the voyage. He was part of the group that Columbus left behind in what is now Haiti to establish the first European colony, which was called La Navidad. De Torres and everyone else were killed by the natives after kidnapping local women. Several other crew, physicians, navigators, and regular sailors, they were also conversos. Rodrigo de Triana, the sailor who first sighted land on October 12, 1492, is said to have been a converso. Interestingly, Muslims claim that he was an Arab. It's a compelling question why Columbus, supposedly embarking on a Christian missionary voyage for the Catholic crown of Spain, would select so many new Christians for his crew. But maybe it's not that weird, because in preparing for his voyage, Columbus surrounded himself with all kinds of wealthy, knowledgeable, and influential Jews and conversos. He consulted various Jewish and converso astronomers and navigated associated with the royal court including the famous Abraham Zucudo, an openly Jewish scientist who developed a way for sailors to determine their latitude position. But even more than the scientific help, Columbus's voyages were financed by the Jews. I already explained how the crown used the property seized from the Jews to fund Columbus. But he also got backing from several extremely wealthy Jews. Perhaps the most influential was Luis de Santangel de santangel's grandfather had converted to christianity making the family conversos but there were always rumors that they nevertheless practiced judaism in secret santangel himself became the royal treasurer to ferdinand and isabella and even though his relatives were subjected to the inquisition on rumors of heresy the royals protected santangel and his immediate family from investigation it was to him that columbus turned to convince the spanish crown of the worthiness of his expedition which Santangel did after offering up his own money to back Columbus's voyages. Some historians have suggested that Santangel supported Columbus in order to establish a Jewish safe haven in what became the New World. He was so essential to the voyage that when Columbus first reported on his discovery of the New World, he sent a letter not to the king and queen, but to Santangel himself. Columbus was also financed by one of the most influential Jews of that era, Don Isaac Abarbanel, a Portuguese rabbi, statesman, philosopher, and philanthropist who had worked for the Portuguese and Spanish monarchies. He funded portions of Isabella's army when she was Queen of Castile. He tried to bribe the king and queen to rescind the expulsion but was rebuffed, and fled with his family to Italy. This, despite the fact that his money and influence helped secure the Spanish crown the most famous voyage of discovery in history. So why would so many prominent Jews provide so much support for Columbus if he wasn't a member of the tribe? Well, maybe because, like Santangel, they were hoping that Jews could find safe haven across the ocean, and they wanted to support that while making it seem like they were actually supporting the Spanish crown. And in the following centuries, thousands of conversos and crypto-Jews did make their way across the Atlantic, hoping to find a better future in the New World. There's so much irony here. And looking to rid Spain of Jewish influence, Ferdinand and Isabella expelled them, then used their stolen wealth to fund Columbus's voyage. But in the end, it was Jewish money, knowledge, influence, and seafaring skills that enabled the voyage of discovery to bring everlasting glory to the most Catholic kingdom of Europe. Christopher Columbus died in 1506. He left tantalizing clues regarding his origins, but nothing definitive. Historians have long debated why that is, and what his true beginnings might be, giving rise to all kinds of theories, from Greek to Polish to even Norwegian. Although he left quite a trail of breadcrumbs pointing to a Jewish, or at least a converso origin, including a bunch of stuff I didn't include in this episode, you won't find too many historians arguing that he was jewish at the very least he certainly swam in jewish and converso circles and was deeply interested in and knowledgeable about jewish history and philosophy and given the raft of circumstantial evidence and the cloudiness of his early life i don't think it's totally crazy to play with this idea and in fact american jews in the early 20th century were really hot on this idea that columbus was jewish In an era when Jews were emerging into public life in significant ways, from the forefront of industrial expansion to politics to more than 2 million new immigrants from Europe, and yet still facing exclusion and anti-Semitism, the notion that Columbus might be Jewish was to stake a claim in the American story. It was to say that Jews were fully American from the beginning, that the American heritage of the voyage of discovery was just as much theirs as everyone else's. It wasn't enough that Jews and conversos supplied the scientific, financial, and political backing in support of Columbus's discoveries. We wanted to claim the great explorer, too. We wanted to say that Jews were on the ship that first spotted land for Europe. It's like I said. You're welcome. The Inquisition. Let's begin. The Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission to convert the Jews, Jews. 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 We're gonna teach. okay Mel Brooks Mel Brooks just never gets old it's just never not funny when I listen to it. Anyway today we have a much greater appreciation for the fraught legacy of Columbus's expeditions and I'm not super keen on claiming Columbus as one of the tribe. We've got enough problems these days but still it's fascinating to consider and at the very least we can recognize the role that Jews played in what was the single most impactful voyage of the age of discovery which is pretty cool stuff. So next time, we're going to roll with Christopher Columbus's fascination with ancient Jewish history to go way way back, about 3000 years. Around that time, the Jews had 12 tribes living in and around the Promised Land. We seem to have lost 10 of them. Let's see if we can find them. Thanks for listening everyone, Leithroots. See you later. <laughs>